I think I'd be used to it by now. But watching half the congregation leave, <laughs> it gets me every time. Uh, good morning. Merry Christmas. Happy Advent. Um, I wanted to start out uh, this morning just to say thank you for dinner last night. Um, don't know if you guys realized or remembered. Some of you did because you provided the food. But uh, so uh, Grace Community provided dinner at Royal City Mission last night. Um, and I also want I don't know, you definitely don't know this, but also thank you for lunch on Monday because there was a disgusting amount of food. So well done. <laughs> you guys came through. It was awesome. And this is, it's such a, it's a small thing like, to provide a meal. And I know like, people are probably like, I brought a casserole. What's the big deal? But it is, it's a beautiful, it's a huge thing that makes a difference to those who need a, who need a hot meal. Um, and the Saturday night suppers, just to give you a bit of context, so Saturday night suppers have been happening at Royal City Mission for 25 years, thereabout. And uh, it started as a serving, kind of the starting point of what everything we do there. Uh, mm. Because the church at the time thought, you know what, we, we should get together and we should serve dinner every Saturday night. And then they realized that's a big commitment for one church. So then they asked other churches to help them. And so other churches got involved and they started serving together. And then Saturday night was, was fun. And then someone thought, well, why don't we do Wednesday too? Uh, and so then they added Wednesday. And then they eventually added Monday and Tuesday and then Thursday suppers. And then most recently, we just added Friday suppers. Um, just prior to the beginning of the pandemic. And then over the pandemic, we ended up adding lunches. And all this began with a group of churches that said, you know what, we can provide a meal. And so it's a simple thing. It's a small thing, but it's amazing how God has taken it and has taken a willingness to serve and to be a blessing to the community and has made it so much more. And for us, just so you guys know, because I'm here and I can take the time to plug it, um, we, we got some exciting news this week at Royal City Mission. We, um, we've entered into a partnership with the city of Guelph, which is the first time we've ever really done anything like that. But the city of Guelph approached us and asked us what it would look like to expand our hours. So alongside the meals, we also do a drop-in. So we're open 12 to 7.30 p.m., six days a week, just as a space to be. So there's lunch, there's dinner, but then if people just want to come in and have a coffee, hang out, chat, play games, uh, it's just that kind of space, and a space where it doesn't cost money to be. Um, and so we offer that, but the city was just like, we love that you're doing that, but we would like it if you opened at 8 a.m. And so they asked us what it would take, and we told them, thinking there's no way. And then they said yes, um, which is only by, like, we're a church. What kind of church partners with, like, gets money from the city uh, to be a blessing to people? It's a beautiful thing. Um, and so over the next few months, we're going to be ramping up into that kind of space. So we're going to be taking our, our seven and a half hours and turning it into 12 hours. Um, so if anybody feels like volunteering, you got a morning free, please. Uh, there's an opportunity to volunteer on our website. We're also hiring. If anybody's like, you know what, I am interested in that kind of thing, and, you're, and you would, just send over your resume. It would be awesome to be able to continue partnering together on all this kind of stuff. And it's fun because when we look back at our history and what we've done, all this started with Saturday Night Suppers. 
with a group of churches saying, we can do this one small thing together. So thank you. Thank you for that beautiful, and I, I shouldn't say small thing, it was a disturbing amount of food. I had spent like 40 minutes just putting food into the fridge that we weren't able to serve. Um, so thank you so much for all that, and it is appreciated. And I know like I gave you guys a bit of cheek about bringing a, a thousand different things um, the other week, but it, it's a beautiful thing, and it kind of gives it a unique flair. So if you feel inspired to change, you can, but you don't have to, right? We just appreciate that you guys are a part of it. All right, so we continue, and we're going to keep unpacking this idea of the incarnation um, that we've been working through the last couple weeks, of Emmanuel, God with us, coming to us in human form, coming us, to us as a humble child born into poverty, right? And we started this, this journey in the book of Zechariah, where we came face to face with the expected righteous and victorious Savior, who unexpectedly showed up riding a donkey came into the world humbly, right? And it's, it's the reminder and the call on us to enter into all things we do humbly. Righteous and victorious for sure, but we can't forget that humble bit. And last week we unpacked uh, the, the opening hymn of the Gospel of, of, of John and the sent nature of Jesus coming to us to be with us and how that compels us to do the same into the world, to be people who set up our tents out into the world who are engaged with the world, and instead of living behind our safe locked doors, right? And, and before we started into any of that, I, I mentioned that for this journey through the incarnation, through these kind of th three weeks together, we would start in the Old Testament, which was Zechariah, then we would pause in the Gospels, which was John, and then we'd move on to one of the letters in the New Testament. And specifically, we're going to move on into the letter of Hebrews, but before we get there, I want to pause in a parable. I like parables because for me, they, I just like them. They're good. So I want to pause in a parable to give a bit of context to what we'll be unpacking today. So it's Matthew 21, and this is um, called the parable of the tenants, if you know it. So now listen to another story. This is Jesus speaking. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Finally, the, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to this estate. Come on, let's kill him and get this estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. When the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked, what do you think he'll do to these farmers? The religious leaders replied, he will put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. Then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has now come, become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will, pro will produce the proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over 
over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone who falls on it. Jesus is telling this parable shortly after his triumphal entry. So he's come into Jerusalem, right? Right after fulfilling kind of that prophetic word of Zechariah by riding into Jerusalem, righteous and victorious on that humble donkey, right? And essentially, by doing so, he's proclaiming himself king and savior of Jerusalem. And Jesus is, is saying, here I am, and the religious leaders, knowing full well what Jesus was intending, what Jesus was making claim to, well, they decided to express some concern, right? I think most of us, if someone came in to our community and started, made a proclamation that they were the king and savior, we would express concern, right? So it's not unfounded. Jesus, in response to their, into their concerns, leads the questioners through this parable. And right into the words of Psalm, which he quotes, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. Jesus is aware that their questioning, it's not good-natured. So as much as it might be wise to think, there's a difference between actually vetting someone and just being a jerk, right? And... These, these religious leaders, they're not trying to find out if Jesus is who he claims. They've come with the purpose of rejecting and discrediting Jesus. And so Jesus calls them out on this. But he also lets them know that in their rejection, they're re- affirming who he is. The religious leaders had already decided to reject Jesus. Jesus was not who they were looking for. He was not the answer to the question they were asking. And Jesus says, I know you're going to reject me, and in your rejection, you you will be fulfilling the prophecy, proving who I am. Isn't that beautiful cheek? Jesus is like, just so you know, you're in a lose-lose. I've already won, right? And that kind of brings us uh, into the book of Hebrews. And we don't know actually a lot about the book of Hebrews. Like, we know it's written, we know the words, But we don't know who it was written for um, or who it was written to. And we definitely don't know the author. Um, At one point, lots of people claimed it was Paul, but it's just such a different uh, penmanship and different kind of writing style that there's just no way it's Paul. Um, But it's someone who knew the apostles, including Paul, right? And it's meant for someone, an audience who are familiar with the Old Testament. If you've ever read the book of Hebrews, it's like you always have to, it references a story and then you're like, I have to go back and read that story, I think, because I don't remember what he is talking about. And so the, the book of Hebrews it requires a, like a, a knowledge of the Old Testament. So it's probably written to a, a Hebrew people, a Jewish people, right? And that's where the name comes from. So there's no name in the book. It doesn't start off like the rest of Paul's letter. It's like, I'm so-and-so writing to so-and-so. It just kind of launches in. And so we've got this this book that we don't know the specific audience or the author, but it's clearly written to people who are familiar with the Old Testament and who have gone through a difficult time. They've gone through hardship or persecution. And now they're at this kind of turning point where they're beginning to walk away from their faith in Jesus. And what's even more probably concerning and familiar to us, I think, in our own context, is if they're not walking away, they're becoming apathetic towards Jesus. And the book of Hebrews, that's 
what it's all about. It's all about the uh, 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 church leader who is concerned with a church that is rejecting Jesus. And the author is writing to them to encourage them to remember the significance of who Jesus is. And we can't go through the entire book in detail. That would have to be another thing. But like a good essayist, right, the author of Hebrews tells us the entire purpose of the book right at the beginning. That doesn't mean you shouldn't keep reading because there's some good pieces throughout that, but it's good. So Hebrews 1, uh, verses 1 to 4, long ago. And this is the beginning. Like, there's no preamble before this. This is just how the book starts. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he has cleansed... When he had cleansed us from our sins and sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven, this shows, us, shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. The Son of God, Jesus, embodies the radiance of God and expresses the very character of God. Jesus is better than what has come before, the author of Hebrews is letting us know. So let's not miss it. In these opening verses, the author of Hebrews would have us see that Jesus is God's most significant revelation to us. More than just a prophet, more than just a messenger, Jesus, as we read last week, is the very word of God. Jesus is the true and better and final prophet of God, the very word made flesh. And if, if you go back to the context of the parable that Jesus is the son sent to the vineyard in the last ditch effort, right? Finally, the owner sent his son thinking, surely they will respect my son. The author of Hebrews is making a contrast between these two different ways that God has spoken to us, to mankind, in two different times. Long ago, he spoke by the prophets, which is kind of a comfortable way of summarizing the Old Testament. The law and the prophets, long ago, he spoke to people through the prophets. In these days, he has spoken by his son. You guys ever had a pen pal? Anybody? Few in the crowd? All right. You write to someone, and you, you, it's a great way of kind of getting to know them, right? It's kind of a weird practice, one that we don't do that often anymore. So maybe online dating would be a better example of this. But right, you have this either or. You kind of you do this, this soft introduction where you write each other messages or emails or that kind of stuff to kind of get to know each other, right? But if it's, like, if it's a true friendship and you, you take the opportunity or if it's got potential to go somewhere as a relationship, it, you meet them, right? You don't just stick with the letters. And this is kind of that contrast. Long ago, I sent you letters. I sent you my servants. Now I've sent you my son. 
God previously spoke through the prophets, through the letters, but finally now God has given us something greater, the very word of God made flesh, Jesus. God has come to meet us in person. And that's where the do not extend the online dating analogy any further than that. Jesus is the final and the greatest prophet of God. And that doesn't downgrade the Old Testament prophets, right? And sometimes people like to do that. They're just like, well, that doesn't matter because now we have Jesus. But it doesn't downgrade them. It actually establishes them. See, Jesus is so great, he actually didn't need to fulfill any of the prophets. But he gave them legitimacy by fulfilling them. Right? They spoke of Jesus and his coming, and God honored the words of the prophets by having Jesus come in the manner they foretold. The words of Timothy were made are, were, were true when it was written and are true now that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The scriptures are great, but Jesus is greater still. This doesn't do away with the prophets, but it does change the way we read them, right? Jesus made this clear throughout his ministry, but in particular, you can read it in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus, near the beginning of, of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. But what's interesting is as Jesus continues in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says this key line, you have heard it said, but now I say to you. He goes through so many of the laws in this, in this sermon. And he, actually, six times he says, like, so you, I haven't come to abolish this, but you heard it said, and now I'm saying. But what's interesting is Jesus doesn't go and he doesn't lighten the commandments given. He doesn't make them easier. He makes them more challenging, more true to the point. It's not about not murdering. He says it's about not hating. And I don't know about you, but I have successfully stayed away from murder, but I cannot have successfully stayed away from hate, right? Makes them much more challenging. He makes them more true to the law, the foundation, the foundation of which the law is built, and which is the love of God and the love of others. Right? Jesus says later in Matthew, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus came to accomplish the purpose of the scriptures of the law, which is what? It's to love God and to love others. Jesus came to show us how to live right with God and live right with one another. You know, we touched on this last week when we, when we talked about that Jesus came as a representation of God to humanity to show us what God is really like, but also as a representation of humanity to humanity, show us how to live together. Jesus came to show us who God is and also how to show us how to be fully human and to live together. Jesus came to show us the way of... Uh, of living that God intended for us from the very beginning. 
the way of love. Because God is love. It's interesting, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the author of Matthew notes, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. He thought with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. I think the, the, the teachings of Jesus stuck out in this moment because it was a contrast to the teachings of the law. Because Jesus wasn't teaching the law in and of itself, but teaching the law accomplished, the law completed. Jesus was teaching people that love is the foundation. And it was what's beautiful about that moment is he's teaching them to love while he is actually the incarnation of love itself on the world, in the world. And so I think it's important to remember that when we talk about the incarnation, when we talk about God coming to earth, we are essentially talking about love. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And what is God? God is love. The incarnation expresses God as love to the world, to each one of us. My hope is that as a church, as followers of Jesus, we can be people who continue to live out the incarnation just as Jesus did. That we can live in this world with love and humility. And that we would have the strength and wisdom to, do, to have everything we do come out of a humble love for this world. Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful you've come to us. We're grateful that you have spoken to us in the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. That you have shown us in Jesus what you are really like. Lord God, we are grateful that you are with us in the here and now. That you have come to us through people who need our help. And that you are present with us through our church communities. Lord God, we are so grateful that you are with us to the end. That you continue waiting for us and calling, back, calling us back to you. Thank you for calling us back to the humble path of love. We praise you. The God who comes, Emmanuel, the God of love. Amen. Please stand, let's sing.